Disney Vault Talk presents Rebel Yell. Star Wars Rebels discussion and commentary. With your hosts, Teresa Delgado and Steve Lawson, and a few surprises along the way. And now, Disney Vault Talk's Rebel Yell. Oh, man. Pulling the curtain back. We're about 30 minutes late getting started due to technical issues, but we're here. And if you're listening via the podcast feed, it doesn't matter how late we were getting started because you're always right on time. This is Rebel Yell. Disney Vault Talks and the Golaverse's look at the Star Wars Rebels, uh, the animated series airing on Disney XD Weekly. My name's Steve Glosson. So glad to be along with you. And Teresa's not with us because Teresa is dealing with some stuff. And she'll be back sooner than later. I guarantee you, you'll hear from Teresa sooner than you may think. But filling in for Teresa is, uh, as always, my brother from another mother, Eris Chernavice. Hey, buddy. Echuta. Echuta. Uh, <laughs> how are you, Steve? Goodness gracious me. Um, uh-oh. I'll tell you how I am. I'm forgetting how to produce i've got a new setup erish um there's been some issues with the skype and people not being able to hear the sound drops um when when i do them as i've been doing them but if i have another device hooked in they can hear that which is really weird i don't get it so i'm dealing with two computers tonight i've got my sounds over here on one i've got the main screen here where i'm talking to you guys and uh it's crazy it is. I. It, this is. This is becoming a full production. I'm. Be, I'm. I am truly stepping into the role that you gave me as the pod, the gentleman podcaster about town. Gentleman podcaster about town. I expect nothing less, my friend, my brother. Also with us tonight on this episode, and excited to have him with us. He is a Star Wars author. Six Star Wars books. Contributed forty books on travel in in Southeast Asia. He's called. He's been called. A modern Indiana Jones by, by CNN. CNN. Yes, um, places you may know him from Star Wars. Absolutely everything you need to know, which he wrote along with Cole Horton. Ultimate Star Wars with Daniel Rice. I'm sorry, Daniel Wallace, Ryder Wyndham, and Trisha Barr. We know and love Trisha. And Star Wars Rebels: The Visual Guide. And also, uh, he was uh, he's got top billing on everything you need to know. The Marvel edition. So. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, just, just a little book you've been raving about. I have recently. been. I dig it absolutely. But let's bring him in, ladies and gentlemen. We're so glad to have. Also accused of being my lookalike at Star Wars Celebration Europe, Adam Bray. How are you, man? Glad to have you with us. Hey guys, Th- thanks so much. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. That, that's an awesome introduction. I'm I'm impressed with myself. Well. G- <laughs> <laughs> As well, you should be. Why in the world did CNN call you a modern-day Indiana Jones? Oh, you don't know how excited I was when 
And I saw that because I promise I did not write that. That was something my editors threw out there. And I knew once it was there, it'd be out there forever. So I was thrilled to death. But um, yeah, I used to live in uh, uh, Vietnam for about seven years in Cambodia for another year. And I was uh, writing travel guides and uh, freelancing for CNN travel and National Geographic graphic news and BBC and some others and uh, writing travel stories. But uh, I also, I, I made good use of my free time. You know, I, ever since college, I wanted to work for Lucasfilm, you know, work on their movies and whatever. Um, cause I've been a lifelong Star Wars and Indiana Jones fan. But, you know, I, I don't know how many, you know, interviews I've had with them over the years, over like the last 15, 20 years, but I could just never get a job. So finally I figured, well, if I can't work at Lucasfilm, I'm going to, you know, go off somewhere, you know, remote in the world and I'm going to actually live a life like Indiana Jones. So, uh, so yeah, I got over there and uh, in my free time I would go, uh, you know, really go hardcore. I'd hop on a motorbike you know pick a place on the map i'd never been and just go off in the jungle in vietnam and i'd meet these you know remote hill tribes um you know living in the jungle or i'd go find um these uh, undocumented ancient temple ruins that'd be a thousand two thousand years old i uh you know i i ate rats you know pooped in cemeteries got dengue fever um, you know, got uh, chased by uh, communist officials. Uh, had all kinds of uh, fun adventures, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that was uh, one of one one of the headlines that the CNN gave me in one of my first articles. So that I was thrilled with that. I mean, did you, did you ever eat chilled monkey brains? Mm. <laughs> I never ate a monkey, thankfully. Um, but I I have had some pretty awful stuff. Um, in the, you know, that, uh, that there's that great scene, I think you're referencing in, uh, the Indiana Jones Temple of Doom. Yeah. And uh, I have had, I have had some of that stuff. Um, snakes I've eaten scorpions surprise. and I, well, I haven't had snakes quite like that, but I have had snakes, uh, several different ways, uh, ver- several varieties of them. Um, there's plenty of venomous, uh, and snakes over there, um, that they eat and, uh, yeah, scorpions and uh, tarantulas and all kinds of nasty bugs, um, a, a variety of, of gross things that uh, some were okay, some made me rather sick. Um, you know, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't seek that kind of thing out per se, but when you get invited to dinner at somebody's house in you know in an ethnic minority village and they plop the dinner down. Uh, on the floor, which it's, you don't, in Vietnam, you don't usually eat at a table, you eat on the floor. Um, and uh, sometimes there'd be some really weird things in those platters. Ugh. I'm not a fan. <laughs> I'm not a fan. I, but here's, <laughs> let me, there's, here's the thing, and, 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 and you just kind of said it and you moved on. You said eating rats, but then you said you pooped in cemeteries. Pooping in cemeteries. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what? I mean, is that yeah, not you know, what? <laughs> we just we just need to know why. We don't need all the gory details. Was it an emergency? Right. Was this like some kind of weird cultural thing? Well, you know, when um I I spent most of my years uh in this uh, this town called Fantite that's um 
it was at the time it was kind of off you know off the beaten track it's grown up a bit since but when i first got there um the the average person didn't have electricity they didn't have refrigerators they didn't have telephones in their home and they also didn't have plumbing um so uh, you know if i went to somebody's house and i had to go to the bathroom they either pointed to the beach or they pointed to the sand dunes or they the the most popular spot was the cemetery um because i i don't know why they they would dig their holes early you know before they needed to put somebody in them and there were lots of empty holes ready to go so i they just that was just cultural (laughs) oh my gosh oh i mean mm. it was creepy when you had to do it late at night you know yeah you don't want you don't want to get out there and be doing your business and hear someone say hey (laughs) (laughs) wait i'm down here i'm not dead yet (laughs) i'm not dead yet Oh man! Well, Adam, well it's, it's so, even worse when there's several people already there, you know, and when, when like you're all sharing the hall, small crowd. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you just kind of turn your backs to each other and, and lean. Is that how that goes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't make eye contact. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Excuse me. Could you please pass the leaves? Well, so uh, so there you go. I mean, right that's there. That's all the leaves I can spare. That's all the leaves. I yeah. can't spare any more leaves. I'm done with your leaves. <laughs> um, so obviously, that's how you got into doing travel writing and everything. But how did you get into Star Wars writing for Star Wars? Yeah, well, I uh, I really lucked out on that um, early on. Um, well, I was working with about a dozen different publishers and early on one of them just happened to be dk and uh, i knew right away um you know that those are the guys the the company that does all those great star wars books the cross-section books and location books and stuff and i'd always you know when i think they started coming out with them just as i was graduating college and i'd go to the bookstores and drool over them but uh, right out of college i never had enough money to actually buy them so i just you know flipped through them in the in the bookstore back then um but i knew uh, when i was doing the these travel guides that they did those star wars books too Mm. so i had it in the back of my head after i you know did a bunch of these travel guides and got some experience under my belt maybe if i ever came back to the u.s um you know i could inquire with them and see if uh, they had any you know openings for writers in the star wars uh uh, department of things so uh yeah i i just happened to come back at just the right time um just uh before uh, george lucas sold the company to disney and uh so when i inquired um they were uh you know get, getting ready to, to work on the new movies and so there was a big publishing push so they indeed needed something that was just the right fit so um it was uh it was a fortuitous uh, transition, but a long time in coming because I'd, I'd been working um, with them on travel stuff since like 2007 or 2008. Well, and someone in the chat actually asked someone live at Mixer.com says, when will we get a travel guide of the Star Wars universe? That is a good question. Um, and that topic uh, actually 
uh, comes up uh, more than people might realize. Um, it's definitely something I would love to do. Um, and there's, uh, you know, there's several angles uh, that it could be uh, approached at. Um, you know, you could do an in-universe uh, sort of a travel guide, um, which Ben Burt, uh, a lot of people don't know, he actually did. It's sort of a, a quasi a travel guide phrase book um i think it's called the galactic phrase book actually he did it is it, um, we, early we, we on actually, yeah like and we that's, actually published that it's still in print and still goes back to print quite regularly yeah and it's, it's a great book uh, especially for the the phrases and languages i i use it as reference material quite a lot actually because it's a really good resource um but you know, there's that kind of a thing that could be done you know expanded on a you know on a sort of a, a more you know uh, realistic travel guide format that's in universe that could be done or it could be you know out of universe you know the film filming locations that's going to obviously expand a lot in the coming years as more films and probably tv shows are made um but yeah, there's and there's other ways it could be done it done as well. So it's it's something I've I've asked about. Um, I've inquired uh, from s several different uh, angles, but uh, nobody uh, seems to be ready or interested in uh, doing one of those just yet. But I'm I'm hopeful because it's it's definitely something I want to do. Well, here's here's what you guys do, and I and I know I'm talking to someone in the. In the publishing world, I'm talking to an author here. Let me just be the idea man and pitch this. You do it and you tie it in with Star Tours. And you do kind of a Star Tours guide to the galaxy kind of situation. And it's not a bad idea. Yeah, and you just and and, and it's almost like a like a like a tour guide kind of thing of what to see on these planets and the indigenous life forms and all the all the good stuff, you know, and to the point you can almost That'd hear that. Awesome. To the point you can almost hear that Star Tours music that plays as you're queuing up, you know, um, and you can hear it as you're reading the thing. So, uh, well, before we get too deep into this conversation, Adam, I'm going to do one thing. I'm going to refresh the call with you and see if that'll help because you are cutting in and out a little bit. So I'm going to hang up. Right. I'm going to hang up on you and call you right back. Okay. All right. So. We're gonna to try to we're gonna to try to refresh the call a little bit and uh, and see if that'll do the trick, Erish. To... Do we have some refreshing the call music that you can play for the folks? Uh, the... I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah, yup, no. Yup, no. Hello again. Oh, there he is. Man, I think you already. I'm here. Well, I was going to say I think you almost sound better, but I I think maybe it's talking over people is having is some of the issue. But that's cool. We'll we'll plug through. We'll plow through. All I'll right. keep my mouth shut. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Adam, um, let's get into this just really quickly. This is um, as as we said before we start recording episode three point seven Imperial Super Commandos. We'll get a little bit more information on that momentarily, but just Adam, really quickly, what uh, what's kind of your overall thought on this episode? Your overall opinions on on this one? Very Mando heavy. 
Yeah, it is. Um, I really liked it. I've uh, I've enjoyed. Uh, I guess this is the second uh, Mando heavy episode that we've had. Um, I think uh, yeah, it's been fun. They I like these these character designs. Um, I like uh, the actors that they've chosen or have done a great job. And it's kind of a it's kind of a fun story. Um, and it's something I know you know they've. Dave's Dave and the team have have wanted to flesh out uh, Sabine's background since I guess since before the show even started. So uh, I'm sure they're excited to to bring this to everybody. And there's obviously a lot of thought that's gone into it for a few years now. So I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I, I really. This was this dove in a little bit more almost as much more as i wanted the first episode we had with mando's involved to get into it and and i'm really glad to see sabine kind of come into her own Erish, what are your overall thoughts on this episode i dug it yeah i, dug it. I, I wouldn't say that it's my favorite of the season so far mm-hmm. um i i gotta say i'm look even though i'm like the biggest boba fett fan in the world I'm a little bit like Ezra in this episode with the whole not quite understanding the Mandalorian culture sort of thing. So I kind of identified a little bit with Ezra at times. Um, You know, look, I know there's a lot of people out there who are just crazy for everything Mandalorian. But for me, it's I'm, I'm a fat guy and I just see fat as like a soul character. You know, I, he's not so much the Mando to me as he's more like a Dread Pirate Roberts character. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like this, but like I said, it, it it's not my favorite episode so far this season. Although yeah. I like the potential of what's to come from this episode. I think this opens a lot of a doors for some cool stuff down the road. Exactly, exactly. I, I really, I, I, I think I'm on board with you. I feel like that, with um with all that's come before in in the old legends you know that people have kind of clung to with the mandalorians and then what we got in uh clone wars because there were two big factions and everything it all feels still kind of convoluted and weird to me and and i'm just trying to pull all these pieces together i think you made a great i think that was a great point as far as being like ezra and kind of feeling that way a little bit about these mandalorians but maybe we'll figure some of these things out as we go through it. I do. I, I love that this was a, a, a Sabine episode too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, she's a character that's growing a lot more on me. The more we see her and we're getting to see her take a more prominent role yep. as we get, as we go, but we'll get into Sabine in a, in a bit. Okay. Um, so this is, uh, as you said, this is, uh, rebels episode 3.7 Imperial super commandos. Um, written by Christopher Yost, who, mm-hmm. looking at his writing credits, I mean, he's written a, a ton of animated episodes for different series, but two that jumped out at me were the movies Thor, The Dark World, and the upcoming Thor Ragnarok. And, um, and can I just say, on those. And yeah. can I just say, I, I don't know where you stand on it, and Adam, you might want to weigh in on this, this is not Star Wars, uh, but... I right. re- I really feel like Thor: The Dark World gets a bad rap from folks. I like Thor: The Dark World. Um, it is to me, it's a fun kind of adventure that's got some pretty big stakes to it, 
And I'm a sucker for that hero moment where the music swells, you know, and the hero's, you know, pushing through whatever the bad guy's throwing at him just to get that last blow. So there at the end when he's, you know, pushing through the through the junk that Malekith is throwing at him and, and he and he's hitting him with all those, you know, gravity spikes and everything and and he's got his hand behind him from Yoner to get in there. Oh, I just I love that moment. It's a great moment. And the Loki stuff was so good in that movie. I, I think it's a little bit underrated by folks. Yeah, I I love the movie actually. I di- I didn't know that people uh, criticized it. I I liked it better than the original, really. Yeah, a, a lot of people tend to criticize it based on the characterization of Malekith. They feel like he wasn't realized enough as a villain and and you don't really get his motivations and you don't really, you know, there the yeah, that that tends to be the biggest criticism of that film, but I I I completely mm-hmm. dug it. So That's the camp that I'm in. Um, particularly because you cast such a great actor and in, uh, in Mr. Eccleston mm-hmm. um, to play the role. And then he's just, and, and honestly, this is kind of, and I think Steve, you and I talked about this a little bit on in the past on Geek Out Loud. This is a little bit of a fault of some of the Marvel movies. It, it definitely, as much as I love Guardians of the Galaxy, um, you know, Lee Pace, they did the same thing with, mm-hmm. with his character there. The villains get a little short shift in these. They don't develop them as well as they could. They're not as strong as they could be in some of these movies. And I definitely felt that was the case with Dark World. I will say this, though. It's got one of my favorite scenes in any Marvel movie. And it's a simple little thing, but it's the part where they're attacking Asgard and Thor just kind of jumps off the balcony and catches Mjolnir as it shoots by and just flies off. Yes, yes. I just, I, it's such a simple little thing, but I love that. It's so cool. Um, but yeah, I, I see, I, in a way, I kind of like the first Thor better. Um, although the Loki stuff in the second one is fantastic. Yeah, well, the, and, and just the way it ends with Loki and stuff, and just the doors that that opens. Yeah, so. well, this I, is, look, this, I liked it. Yeah, this is a conversation for a whole other thing. I just wanted to give Christopher Yost his props. And <laughs> yeah, let him we, know that. We, we're here to talk rebels, and, we, and we're talking Thor, and we've talked pooping in cemeteries, yeah. and like people want their Star Wars. Which, by the way, one of my favorite conversations I, I've ever had is a pooping in the cemetery conversation. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious about Christopher Yost, though. Do do we know if if he's got any other connection to Star Wars? Do we know how he how he came into this working on Rebels? Uh, honestly, I don't know that. I didn't in in my little research. I'm putting the notes together. I didn't dive into that. Um, I think this might be his first credit on Rebels, though. Um, I, I didn't okay. see. I, I didn't see on IMDb that that he had any other Star Wars Rebels credits, but I may have missed. Yeah, them. I was just curious if like one of the um, producers had worked with him before or something. You, usually, these guys are some kind of a tie, but it may have just well, been like said, somebody he, got he, on the got on the phone. It, it looks like he's worked on a bunch of uh, like other Marvel animated series and things like that. So there may have been some connections there. And they are bringing uh, some new. They are bringing some new writers into Rebels this year. You know, Gary Whitta wrote um, 
uh, one of the scripts a few weeks ago, and uh, and so they're kind of expanding the writing family a little bit, it seems. Right. So the synopsis for this episode is uh, when the Rebels lose contact with Concord Dawn, Sabine, Ezra, Chopper, and Mandalorian prisoner Fenrau investigate. They find an unexpected, deadly new threat waiting. And this episode features two guest voices, Kevin McKidd as Fenrau and Ray Stevenson, Steve, who played Punisher, and yeah. Firefly yep. as Gar Saxon. Well, so. yeah, that that was a... They, they keep bringing in these guest stars, um, and, and of course, whenever I hear Ray Stevenson, I immediately think Ray Stevens, which makes me immediately think The Streak, which makes me... <laughs> <laughs> boogity boogity. Well, and the other interesting little trivia note here is Kevin McKidd and Ray Stevenson start together in HBO's series Rome mm-hmm. years ago. So this was the two of them reuniting. Um, but let's uh, let's dive into actually talking about Rebels. Um, so, Adam, I want to start with you because you have literally written the book on Star Wars Rebels. Uh, you wrote the Star Wars Rebels visual guide. Um, so can you give us a little backstory on, on, on what led into the opening of this episode? The episode opens with Sabine and Fen Rao, who is, I guess, a prisoner of the, the rebels, um, sitting and playing a game and like talking to each other. Like how did, how did Fen Rao become a prisoner of the ghost crew? And, you know, like what's led up to this? Yeah, I I actually had to go back in and uh, watch the uh, last uh, uh, relevant episode uh, today because I'd kind of forgotten, you know, why do they already have uh, Fenra with them? Um, so basically what had happened is uh, last season in season two, um, I believe the episode was called The Protectors of the Concord Dawn. Um, the rebels were looking through for a uh, safe way through this uh, system uh, where they wouldn't be uh, under the watch or interference of the Empire. Uh, and this uh, this system, this pl- this planet uh, called Concord Dawn, which is kind of blown, half blown apart uh, from previous uh, historical battles, apparently, um, is controlled by uh, this group of Mandalorians called the Protectors. They're kind of you know, the, apparently we find out, the, you know, the Mandalorians have all these different factions that, that uh, Death Watch was just one, probably one of many. And uh, that these guys are um, are uh, watching over this area for the Empire. They're, they're working with the bad guys. Um, and so uh, I guess it was uh, Sabine uh, and... Um, and uh, Kanan go uh, to kind of negotiate with them, but and Fen Rao uh, ends up being uh, one of the uh, or ends up being the leader of the group. So um, things don't go very well. Sabine kind of goes all Mando, uh, and uh, the, they they don't want to work with the rebels. But uh, it ends up uh, they they have a bit of a fight, and um, Sabine and Kanan end up basically kidnapping Fenrau at uh, the end of the episode and bringing him back uh, to the rebels and uh, using him to tell his men to let the rebels um, come through that area. So it does kind of 
put the rebels in a little bit of a moral gray area here, which they haven't really um, gone into and, and, you know, fleshed out in, in the story, but it's, they, you know, they're they're kidnapping and it, the rebels are kidnapping and using extortion really to to get their way here. So that's that's kind of how he en- ends up in their holding cell uh, on the rebel ship there. Hmm. Yeah, it when when I saw him, I, I kind of remember that. I'm like, oh, yeah, they took this guy prisoner and we just haven't really gone back and seen him yet. We've been too busy to go back and mess with him. But because um, there's been a lot happened since that took place yeah, but there has but yeah they I, I i was like now who is this it took me a minute but once i remembered when the when they got to concord dawn i'm like oh yeah 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 they needed to get through this place and they took him prisoner to make him let him do that so so steve we know i mean this is as we mentioned mm-hmm. a few minutes ago this is very much uh, of the ghost crew this is a sabine episode right and we know sabine is a mandalorian that that's her heritage but like what refresh our memories here what have we what do we know so far of sabine and her heritage because <laughs> gar saxon refers to her as a traitor mm-hmm. he mentions her clan is uh clan vizsla and talks about her mother like is this information that we've seen in previous episodes well yeah in in fact the episode adam was just talking about she um she she refers to herself as Sabine of the House of Wren, Clan Vizsla. And if you remember that Rebels Recon, Dave Filoni was like, yeah, there's a whole thing about houses and clans. And, you know, and, and it kind of got to be this thing where people were like, all right, now what is this? What is that? But obviously she has some connection to pre-Vizsla from the Clone Wars. And the calling her the traitor, I don't know quite where that's from um because finn rao actually we see him in the son of dathomir comic working with darth maul and i can't remember if pre vizsla mm, no that's gar saxon oh gar that's right i'm sorry gar saxon, gar saxon's the right one that's that and, and, and first he's... seen in the the son of Dathomir. okay comic. all right you're right you're right so yeah so finn rao um no so gar saxon but if gar saxon calls her a traitor that's what i'm saying is i don't understand because I need to go back and revisit those Clone Wars episodes because I thought Pre Vizsla was right there with Maul um, the whole time. And so I, I and, don't and remember pre, how that went pre down. Vizsla, pre Vizsla was the leader of Death Watch, correct? Right. And that's, who yeah. teamed up, and that's who teamed up with Maul, right? Yes, I believe so. And so I would think that someone from Clan, unless the fact that she kind of left, and he mentions her mom. He mentions her mom in this, and so maybe it's the fact that she's not with them anymore. Maybe it's the fact that she went off on her own way. Um, you know, these guys are working for the Empire, so maybe it's the fact that she left the Imperial Academy and um, and is and is gone rogue. Maybe that's the traitor there. But it, you know, there's obviously, you know, we we turned. And again, thanks to Karen Travis back in the old Legends days, the Mandalorians have kind of almost become, for a lot of people, like Klingons in Star Trek. And I hate to invoke that yeah. franchise, but you know, but, that, but that's a good ana- that's a good analogy. Well, because they have all these different codes of honor and stuff, and it gets really weird. Like if you just if you just sneeze the wrong way, then suddenly you're on the outs, and and it feels like it's something like that here. But he, when he mentions her mother, like. 
Sabine doesn't want to have anything to do with that. And so obviously, and there's still a shot that I thought we were going to see in this particular episode that we didn't see that we've seen in the trailer. So we've got more of this type storytelling and more of this Mandalorian storytelling to go. Um, and and so, I, I, again, I think this is going to continue to be uncovered and everything. But I, I do. It's hard to kind of pull these threads and figure out where everything leads. Now, let me ask you, in, in regard to uh, her mother, it I don't remember. I know it had to have been online somewhere, but I don't I don't remember where it was. Have we gotten official word of uh, actress that's coming on that would fit that role i know i've heard something online but i didn't remember if it came from lucasfilm or came from the actress or where it came from do you guys recall anything recently no no i've not heard i I think that's some of what the mystery is supposed to be and yeah okay you know i think i haven't sorry steve go ahead Ares. i haven't i don't i don't recall seeing anything pertaining to an actress playing her mother, Mm -hmm. but I do believe I saw somewhere that, uh, Katie Sackhoff might be coming back to play, um, Bo-Katan. Yes. Bo-Katan. And that Bo-Katan has, may have some sort of familial relation to Sabine. Well, here's, and here, well, here you go. (laughs) Bo-Katan is Sabine is not Sabine. Satine's, Sister and wasn't it? What was Satine's full name? Was she Satine Wren? No, she was just Satine. The Duchess Satine is all. You're talking about the Duchess Satine? Yeah, Satine from Obi Wan's girlfriend. Right. I think her last name was Kriz, if I remember. Okay. Yeah, Satine Kriz, K R Y Z E. Yeah, I you know it's I don't know I mean you know it, and I think if, here's the thing we got to go back and watch the Clone Wars episode. Yeah, well here's the thing if they're bringing <laughs> well but see I do remember from when Satine died in the Clone Wars that she and Bo Katan that's when it kind of came out that they were sisters in those episodes and yeah, so I believe and so I feel like that if if they're bringing Katie Sackhoff in to reprise her role as Bo-Katan, then I think it only stands to reason that that ends up being Sabine's mom. I I think that's it's quite possible, unless unless they want to throw us for a loop, and t- it'll tell us that uh, Mandalorians are you know peaceful, peace loving, uh, pacifist kind of a deal. You <laughs> oh know? Lord, here They've, we go. <laughs> uh, they have. Uh, they they have thrown those things, or that or that um, uh, Django Fett's not a Mandalorian. You know, they they do those kind of un, unexpected things with these Mandalorians sometimes. Well, here's a here's an here's an article from Collider dot com uh, that says uh, during an appearance in Australia's Sydney Comic Con, Jedi News UK learned that Katie Sackhoff would be reprising her. Star Wars, the Clone Wars role on Mandalorian Warrior, as man, of Mandalorian Warrior Bo-Katan for the upcoming season of Disney's XD Star Wars Rebels. So, uh, yeah, so she is definitely, according to this article from Collider by way of JediNews.co.uk, um, is, is saying that that's confirmed that she is going to be Bo-Katan again in Rebels. And I just don't mm. see... 
and Katie Sackhoff herself, according to someone in the chat, uh, Anthony in the chat, says says she's come back. So I don't see why they bring her back if she's not related to Satine. You know, with all the connections to the Clan Vizsla and all that good stuff, um, I, I just I, it, it it only stands a reason to me that there there you go. There's that connection. Right, and we know her from the Clone Wars episodes where she was part of Death Watch that Pre Vizsla was the leader of, hence Clan Vizsla. Uh, we know from this episode that uh, Sabine is part of Clan Vizsla because Gar Saxon says something to her about it. Um, so definitely some interesting stuff. But again, here's where I'm feeling a little bit like Ezra, like you Mandos are just so confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, I think it comes down to these codes that they have, and depending on who you've offended or who you've sided with, then, you know, you're on the outs. Um, and, and I just, I don't know that, I don't know that we'll, you know, that it, that it's all been explained. And, I, and, and again, I think things are trickling out bit by bit, and I think that, that getting to know Sabine's family, and you look at it, we've gotten to know Ezra's family, even though they're, they're gone. But we, you know, we've kind of really got into his past at the end of season one and into season two. Um, we, uh, we've gotten to know Hera's. We've seen Hera's backstory. We've even seen some of Zeb's backstory. We, you know, we even saw Chopper at the Y-Wing that crashed where Hera saved him for crying out loud. So we've been given an in to all of these characters, pretty much, with the exception of Ezra Kanan. If you want to know about Kanan, there's a whole comic series about it. So, with the exception uh, of... Um, and, and a novel. And a novel, I'm sorry. And, uh, <laughs> and But with the exception of Sabine, we've kind of dug into all the backgrounds of these people. And and so I think she's the last piece of the puzzle to come into play. Yeah. And, and I, I think the next time we get a Sabine-focused episode with the Mandalorians is going to kind of answer some of these questions. Well, and the last that we saw of the Mandalorians on the Clone Wars series was this huge epic civil war on their planet. And it looks like what we're seeing in Rebels in the two episodes that's involved the Mandalorians is, you know, kind of the what has come out of that civil war, that there's still conflict between some of the clans or factions. And, you know, certainly with Gar Saxon, um, who is he is he and his imperial super commandos are now working for the empire and sorry I'm just looking up his actual title here um, he is imperial viceroy of Mandalore mm. so I, I mean we'll, we'll skip ahead in the questioning a little bit here but you know it, it looks like you know he has he's sold his clan to the empire if, if you want to put it that way to serve the empire um and this might be you know could this possibly be his play at, at trying to to unite mandalore or gain more power i mean what, what do you guys think on that adam i'll let you take this one sure yeah i think um <clears throat> I think he's he's all in it for the the power and the glory. He um, he he aligned with uh, Maul uh, as we saw in the comics um, 
you know, so he was kind of an opportunist. He was going, he was just going with whoever was, whoever looked the strongest at the time. So it was Maul before, and so it's uh, it's the Imperials now. So I, I don't think he has any care for uh, his people or the future of Mandalore. He's just, he's just in it for himself. Um, if, you know, if the Rebels, uh, if, if they joined, uh, you know, the Rebels, maybe he would go with the rebels um though he's kind of a bad guy though so i'm not i don't see see them necessarily going that way but i think he's just he's just going wherever the power is yeah i, I think there's an error because one of the things that finral talked about of himself you know before we ever met gar saxon and and he tended and, and finn was talking about it almost in the sense of this is true of all mandalorians and sabine even kind of talks about being a survivor and so I think with Gar, there's um, there's the idea of being a survivor, and and, and just kind of you know, not, a little bit more than surviving, but you know, surviving and and thriving in the midst of everything that's happened um, since the fall, really of Mandalore since the fall of Death Watch, and and since the events of uh, Son of Dathomir. I, I think that I think his idea is just aligned with the greater power. And I, I can't, I don't know that he is happy to be under the authority of anyone else. But as far as Mandalore goes, if he's the Imperial Viceroy of Mandalore, that title seems to carry with it some type of huge authority amongst that planet. And so I would imagine that Adam's right, he's out for himself. I don't know that he's out for the greater good of Mandalore outside of maybe he may have some kind of ill-gotten plan in his mind that you know just like a sith almost when i get close enough to the top i'm going to take them out and then i'll you know then my people will be restored to their former glory kind of thing but i don't know that it's that that he's really thinking in mandalore's best interest as much of his as much as he is his own and just to point out because we've brought this comic up a couple times now uh, Darth Maul, Son of Dathomir, was a comic, uh, I believe, four-issue series that Dark Horse published at the end of their run of Star Wars comics. It is a canon comic. Mm-hmm. It, it is officially canon. It was based on an idea, some, I believe, some scripts that were written already that had Clone Wars continued. It would have. These were scripts that were written for. Uh, the next season or the season after that of Clone Wars that they adapted into the comic. Um, so that that is a, a canon story, and I think that that's important to all of this because we, we've seen this comic come back now a few times in, Rev- in Rebels, certainly with some of the stuff that's happened with Darth Maul, and we're seeing Gar Saxon. It was, I believe, his first appearance now in the Star Wars story happening in that comic, so... It's something to, uh, you know, if you're interested, to, to look out for. It's a good uh, series. It's a four-issue arc, as you said. It's, it is a good series, and, it's, and, it, and, what, and there are several things that I really dig about it. One is, is we see Maul using that Darksaber, um, you know, that was, that was pre-Vizla's. And we also see Obi-Wan get involved in this tracking down Maul thing again. Um, Obi-Wan is it's fun to watch him in these situations with Maul because he's almost obsessed. Like, this is his responsibility to take this dude out. 
once and for all. Um, and and so we get a little bit of Obi Wan action, but it's a lot of dark side on dark side. It's a lot of the crime syndicates and everything, and um, and that black and red ship that we saw in the Darth Maul episode this this season. Um, when they when they join the holocrons, the one that Maul got away in, we see that ship in this comic book. So, and actually, the base that he's stationed at, I believe, was for its first appearance was in the comic book as well. Yes. Yep. Yeah, the Stygian Prime uh, prison uh, first appears in there, uh, which then appears in the the season one of Rebels, and uh, we see. Um, we see uh, what happens to the Night Sisters uh, in that comic series, which Dave Filoni seems to be hinting at. Um, we're going to see the, the continuation of that storyline in the comic with the Night Sisters, probably in Rebels. That's what he's been hinting at, anyway. Hmm. Interesting. So it sounds like it's. It's pretty required reading for uh, Rebels fans out there. I think so, and I think you'll enjoy it. Um, You know, it does fill in some of these Mandalore gaps. It fills in some Darth Maul gaps, and um, and it fills in some Night Sister gaps. Like, I I feel like in in this in this series, there's enough closure with the Night Sisters that we don't necessarily have to revisit them. But if but if we do, I trust Dave Filoni and company to get us there. All right. Let's let, since we're on the, the topic of the Mandos, let's talk about Fenrau a, a little bit here for a moment. So, Steve, the episode starts with, as we mentioned, Fen is in the custody of the rebels. It opens with, I think, a pretty cool scene with him and Sabine playing a game that was uh, actually taken from the now Legends uh, Imperial Commando books. Uh, a game called, and I'm probably going to butcher the way you say this, so apologies, called Cubicod. Um, or as the uh, as some of the crew on the episode referred to it, Stabble, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. Um, so it's just this cool little scene back and forth uh, between Sabine and Fenn. And, you know, Sabine is trying to recruit Fenn to join them. And Fen is resistant to her. What, what do we think Fen Rao's goals are at this point? You know, is, is it just to get free of the rebels and back to his protectors on Concord Dawn? Yeah, I think, I mean, he. I think it's survival for him. I think that he does want to get back to, um, get back to the guys on Concord Dawn. I think that Fen ha- actually has more of, Mandalore's former glory in mind than even a, a Gar Saxon does, but I think ultimately what he's trying to do in this, and when he, you know, kind of breaks away from Sabine and Ezra, the worst, the worst guards ever. Um, well, I, certainly Ezra is. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, but I, I think that his whole thing is getting back to his people. And and I think in his mind he feels like that at some point one day they can restore Mandalore's former glory. Uh, again, Mandalore is a planet that that I, that is is kind of screwed up, and and it's screwed up because of the varying what it seems to be 
the varying ideologies from that planet. I mean, when we met them in the Clone Wars, you had a pacifist planet with a pacifist leader. Meanwhile, in the shadows, Death Watch is coming about. Uh, then that even breaks into factions with the whole Darth Maul situation, and now they're broken into factions even further, um, you know, because of the Empire. So I, I think that Finn Rao was hoping to survive through what the Empire's doing and then rebuild Mandalore to some form of glory or greatness. But ultimately, in, at, at this time in his life, I think he's just looking to survive. And can I just say that... Um... I'm so glad that uh, we got a, a game that's uh, at least somewhat new, at least new to uh, TV and movies, because it just seems like uh, Dejarik and Sabak are getting a bit overused. So it's <laughs> it's nice to have this this new Mandalorian game in the mix. Well, and it's interesting that you say that, Adam, because initially it was going to be Dejarik, and they decided they wanted something they, they wanted something that was more apropos to the Mandalorian culture. And, and that's when they went with Stabble. Stabble. <laughs> well, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't I can't. I'm so glad they went that way. So good. Yeah, I thought it was a really nice touch. Cause it and it was a cool looking game. I mean, it's basically like this, you know, cube checkerboard and instead of like chess pieces or checker pieces it's like hollow knives that the players move around and it just immediately it's like okay that is something a mandalorian would play that was like the first thing that went through my head before i even knew what it was or really understood what they were doing like that looks like a mandalorian game well yeah and Um, and it seemed and from their conversation you know it it seems like sabine's got a whole Charles Xavier Magneto thing going on with him because he's like, why do you keep coming and playing this game? You know, it's like, so obviously she's been trying to build some kind of bridge or connection with him. Um, even though we've not seen it, it's been off screen. But, uh, but yeah, and apparently she can't beat him. So I, I think that's a little telling of her. Well, and, and Adam, Steve just kind of laid it out there for us right there that Sabine keeps coming back and playing this game with him. It, it, it's apparent she's trying to, to recruit him to join the Rebels. So why do you think Sabine is so keen on this guy joining them? Yeah, I think um, I think uh, she she's definitely... She, she may have left Mandalore and the Academy, but I think she still maintains a connection. I don't think she wants to be separate from her people. Um, she If she was rejecting her Mandalorian ties, she, she wouldn't be wearing the armor. Um, so I think she wants to rekindle that. I think, uh, you know, the rebellion's important to her. I think Mandalore is important to her. So she'd like to see them, you know, she'd like to bring them on board into the rebellion. So I think, um, I think in some ways, as we see um, Hera become more important in a larger role in the rebellion, I think. In some ways, we'll see uh, Sabine take Hera's former place um, in, you know, building up a cell. But I think we'll also see 
her become a liaison um you know this is just my guess i don't have any inside knowledge but i think we'll see her become a liaison uh, to mandalore in the rebellion in the way that hera is probably becoming a liaison to um the twi'leks uh for the rebellion so yeah, i think uh she she definitely wants to bring them all on board that's a really interesting point uh, and I, and I like the I, I I like the sound of that that you know she's almost being groomed to kind of take over Hera's role within the Ghost Crew because Steve we are seeing Sabine this season being assigned a leadership role in more missions are we not Yeah you know it's it it's a continuation of way back in season one this is what she wanted you know she was. Uh, the whole episode where they first meet the old Fearnox, um, with with she and Hera, um, and and one of her big complaints was she wanted more responsibility, and so, and so we're finally seeing her step up and get that. But with that also comes, thank God, um, or I should say, thank the Force. Uh, we're, we're seeing a little more character development for. Her which is something that has been a little bit lacking for her throughout this series. For most of this series, Sabine has been the, if we need someone to do gymnastics, we've got it. If we need someone, you know, she paints, she can skate, she can swim, she can do all this stuff. Um, and she's always kind of been that person who's just, she's super cool, you know. She's just super bad. And, and now we're kind of getting into who she is, which, you know, which I think has been lacking that here. So with her having these missions and with her doing this stuff, we're, we're learning, we're, we're doing what star Wars does best is we're getting to know the character. So we see at one point in the episode, she, she uh, disarms and takes out one of the Imperial super commandos and she's extremely excited to get her hands on his backpack, <laughs> which she immediately straps on. And she says something to the extent of, I've been wanting one of these. Yeah. I just, I just got to ask you guys, your thoughts on, on the jet pack. Would you be excited to get your hands on one of these? Or is it something that you'd be like, ah, yeah, no, I'm not interested. Well, we know Indiana Jones's answer. <laughs> Well, it might surprise you. <laughs> I think I'd be terrified. Um, just the the likelihood of that leading me in the wrong direction, um, smack into a cliff, I think would be pretty high. I think I, I'd rather ride something else, you know, get on a, the back of a Tibbity or, you know, pilot a, a little, uh, you know, a speeder bike or something like that. I'm not sure I'd feel confident with one of the jetpacks on. Listen, if one of those jetpacks will get my fat tail off the ground, I'll gladly strap a jetpack to my back. <laughs> See, I, my two concerns are, number one, that that thing, it, it, because I'm so heavy, that thing is going to run out of fuel right away, and I'm just going <laughs> to drop like a rock. <laughs> and, 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 and number two, I just don't know that I want all that heat on my backside. Mm. You know, I may not not be able to sit down for like a day or two after flying with one of those things. Well, you know, it's Star Wars and I know we see, you know, flames coming out of it. I know that it literally tends to be jet flames, but 
It is Star Wars, and Star Wars technology tends to be a little bit on the fantastic side. Uh, for example, she just kind of magnetized it to her back. Like, it just happened to lock into place Oh, yeah, easily. it just, like, clicked in right yeah. away. Um, which mm. also, which if here's the thing. I felt like it was almost a magnet kind of thing. And if that's the case, then that leads me to believe there's some kind of system through that armor whereby she's got, a like, a heads-up display in that helmet, and... And she actually can control that thing to, you know, where it is just a matter of twisting your weight this way or that way. And that's why she doesn't have control panels in the gloves and everything. There's some other type of control system there. But I, they're interchangeable. I thought that was neat. I thought the design was a little disappointing, you know. I mean, the, the jetpacks we've seen all tend to have this, uh, you know, they're more than just jetpacks. They're rocket packs. And this looked like a... Like a dustbuster, she just strapped to her back instead of you know the cool uh, Django well, or Boba Fett kind of deal. Yeah, it's it's sleek and aerodynamic, uh, but yeah, I mean it's missing the awesome missile that was in Boba Fett's. No oh, Boba Fett and and like I say, and Django Fett. But oh yeah, that's right. but you, but that's neither yeah. here nor that's neither here nor there. Uh, but I I would love it, um, and I'm I'm. I have mixed emotions about the fact that she lost it by the end. I was kind of disappointed, but also kind of like, well, that's what you get, Missy. You can't have everything. Well, she didn't lose it. I was kind of surprised by that. She still has it. It just took a blaster shot. Oh, did it not fall off? I thought it fell off. No, I thought it just, I thought it just took a blaster shot, you know, that that killed it. But in my mind, it was something that she could repair. Hold on, I have I've got the episode playing here in the background, so I'm just shooting, fast forwarding to it. I I literally thought it had fallen off. Um, you know, Ezra saves her, of course, as she's fallen, but I thought she lost the jetpack as well. I'm willing to be wrong. She's fighting Gar. She's still got it on while she's fighting Gar. <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. She flies up. She's getting to the new Phantom. What do you guys think of the new Phantom? I love yeah. it. I've always liked those sheathapeed um, shuttles, so I, I think it looks great. Hey, you watch your language on this show, Adam. This is a family-friendly <laughs> show. <laughs> what? I, I, love the, I love the paint scheme on it. I love the big new logo on it. It looks cool. And, yeah, she still has the backpack. She okay. still has the jetpack on. All right. What kind of she, What kind of shuttle did you say it was, Adam? I think it's a, isn't it called a sheathapede? Mm. Yeah. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna, class. or sheath I'm the cemetery. Default to the guy who writes the guidebooks sure, on these sure. things. So. Yeah. I don't, I don't doubt you. I, I just have never heard that term, I guess. And, and it, well, it's a really weird, weird name. It's kind of, it's, it's like a mix of a couple of words. Some, some I could repeat and some I don't want to. Sure. Well, is it a it's, is is it a Geonosian design? Because the first place we see that style of shuttle was in Attack of the Clones, right? Yes. I, um, it, I is it in Attack of the Clones? It's in one of the prequel movies because uh, some of the Nemoidians arrive and take off in it. Um, it's definitely a ship that the Confederates. Uh, is that no? That the sea the separatists yeah. used. Okay, I just I feel like I think I think the the, the peed part of the name comes from the um, 
the feet that are on the bottom, which I love when it goes to land, the, the, those little feet come out and it kind of mm-hmm. walks, walks, walks to a stop. Um, and it just, it just looks really cool. I guess it's kind of like a centipede or a millipede sort of an idea. Did they trim off a top fin on it or is it just the paint scheme makes it seem a bit smaller? They, it does seem a little bit smaller. Maybe that's just the paint scheme. I don't know. There's a really good schematic of it on uh, StarWars.com and the episode guide. Yeah. Uh, in the behind-the-scenes gallery, they have a really good schematic showing some of the modifications that were made to it, the paint scheme on it, the new logo that's been added to it. So uh, I definitely recommend checking that out mm-hmm. to find out more about the, the new design for the Phantom 2. That they're calling it. it even shows how it's going to dock with the ghost. Yeah, I'd like to see that actually be the be docked and and see what that looks like, and then and then I expect Lego to make that so that I can have it for my Lego ghost to dock with it. So, because Lord right, knows, so- Lord knows, Hasbro's not going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> so back to our friend Fenrau here. Um, they get to Concord, Donna, and he discovers that his protectors have been decimated. Their, their camp destroyed. It's presumed that they've all been killed. Um, the, the Imperial Super Commandos then show up. Uh, Fen and, and Sabine hide. Ezra's taken captive. Sabine convinces Fen that they that she's not leaving there without Ezra. You know, Fen is trying to convince Sabine that his sacrifice, like they have to take advantage of that to get away. She eventually convinces him of her plan to rescue Ezra, leaving him with the ship with the Phantom Two while she goes back in to get Ezra. And of course, what happens? Fen seizes this opportunity he's got, and he takes off with their ship. Um, but he has a change of heart and eventually comes back to them. Steve, why would Fen change his mind? Why would he come back for them? That honor crap. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, I think what he saw in Sabine, I think while he was in captivity, and I, and I think that uh, and you know when when Sabine announced herself as Clan Vizsla in that first episode, I do remember that's kind of what set the whole thing off with them. But but I think that he kind of felt like this crew had taken him prisoner, and they were they were not honorable in the way that they were dealing and, and kind of backing him into a corner to make him allow the rebellion safe passage. But I think in her battle with Gar Saxon, I think in seeing the way that she risked her life for her friends and all this other stuff, I think he saw the honor there. And and I think that he realized, too, that he was kind of in a position that he didn't want to go back to a Mandalore that was under the thumb of the Empire. He'd had enough of that. And, uh, and so he went back to rescue them and offer his support. I think that it's 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 kind of a a callous kind of thing, a, a, an agent callous kind of thing where you know, once you kind of see the person that you perceive to be your enemy from a different angle, then it kind of helps you come to a point of understanding and uh and throw a little bit of hippie love in that mess and and back him up. <laughs> 
And then Adam, we see at the end of the episode, he does agree to join Sabine, to join the rebels. Why do you think that he finally came to that decision? It's, is it because he's seen what the empire has, has done to his, uh, to his protectors that he sees that the rebels are his, his best bet to, to possibly, you know, achieve the Mandalore that he hopes for. I think so. Um, I think, uh, you know, with, with his team, his team is wiped out now, so he's all on his own. So if he, you know, flies off into the sunset, uh, by himself, he's, he's on his own. He, uh, we don't know of anything that he has to, you know, go back to and join. Um, so it's it's just him. Uh, but he, you know, if he links up with these rebels, he's got something he can fight for that um, they can, you know, work together. And it seems, I think he he sees uh, uh, Sabine's commitment. Uh, so perhaps uh, he he either thinks he can funnel that same commitment from her back to Mandalore, or he can just use the situation to uh, help Mandalore and give himself something to uh, fight for as well. This just popped into my head, but now I really want to see a Rex and Fenrau episode. (laughs) Have them, uh, have them armor up together. Don't you think there'd be some cool possibilities there? Like maybe like a little lethal weapon action. Like, you know, Rex could just be like, I'm getting too old for this crap. Yeah. <laughs> for this yeah, shit. Well, but I'm getting. I guess they've, they've kind of hinted at uh, they could potentially know each other. So um, he's the one that did the the clone training, didn't he? So uh, they, they might have even oh, worked yeah. together before. Yeah, Interesting. that's true. And Rex, Rex would say, "I'm getting too old for this shithapede, or sheathapede." <laughs> there you go. As they get in, as they board the ship to go off on their mission, he—that's what he says. He just turns and looks at Fed and says that. Yes. Oh, please make that happen. <laughs> if you're listening, Dave, like, eh, I think that's a little too close to comfort for me, man. I don't know that I can do that. Eh. <laughs> We better leave the cussing to Chopper. Um, All right, I, I got I got two more topics, so I want to bring up here real quick. Uh, one of them is Ezra, and we'll get to him in a second. But Steve, because we can't have a Rebel Yell episode without a Snoke theory. Yeah, yeah. Fen Rao is Snoke. Really? I see. The this, the the decimation of his protectors is yeah. the beginning of his long trip to the dock side and that's indeed and and in honor of sabine he calls his followers the knights of ren oh i didn't even think of that there yeah. we go we yeah oh finn rao ladies and gentlemen is uh is snoke that's our so who have we gotten so far Irish? <laughs> uh who haven't we gotten i think is more like i think we even said bib fortuna at one point is snoke so yeah Fortuna, I think uh, at one point we had a space whale as Snoke. That's right. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, a- Adam, we, we got to end with uh, uh, just a little discussion on Ezra here. Because it, it just seems to me that, that Ezra needs, 
he needs a little lesson in restraint on using his force powers. Like it, it, every time he uses it, especially in front of somebody who is an Imperial or has a connection to an Imperial, doesn't he just put a bigger target on his back? Yeah, that was not very wise at all. Um, and I think it's going to come back and uh, bite him on the butt. Um, but he he was kind of in a spot where, you know, he didn't have a lot of choices where bla- where Chopper was going to get blasted. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it my thinking was, you know, as much as we love Chopper, Chopper is a droid. Um, and he might have, he probably should have just let him, uh, uh, you know, shoot Chopper and hope that he can repair him later. Um, kind oh. of a thing, uh, you oh. know, as, as terrible as that sounds. Chopper would have um, never let it's, it would be, I, it remind would me be not, better than, uh, remind me not to get stuck in a zombie apocalypse with you. Cause you yeah. would just like <laughs> take out my leg. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, you, you would, you would Otis me. I would, Walking Dead fans out there will get that reference. You would Otis. Me. I was going to say, and if Chopper does survive, he's never going to let Ezra live that down. You want to talk about impossible to live with for the rest of your days? Oh. Wow! Sacrificing Chopper so that he doesn't have to use his force powers. Mm. Oh well, you know you're a cold. You're a cold man, Adam Gray. <laughs> I feel so bad now. <laughs> I'm, listen, any man that can go poop in a cemetery uh, doesn't give a doesn't give two craps about a droid. Let's be honest. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's just. I guess let's close this out. Uh, you know, this question is to each of you. We can start with Adam. Um, what do you think your big takeaway from this episode is? Where where might this episode lead us as we go forward here? Uh, I think we're going to see a ton of Mandalorians uh, later on. Um, the one thing, uh, just the, the practicalities of uh, making these shows... Um, when Rebels started, uh, the storylines were often very small and constrained. Part of that is just part of, you know, beginning a new series. But part of it's also they don't have the assets to to build uh, these models, um, you know, to build the characters and the objects and the ships and the backgrounds and locations. It takes a lot of time, and a lot of time is a lot of money. And so they start small and but now as they add more and more characters more and more different kinds of mandalorians and different kinds of mandalorian armor and their ships and you know things that pertain to their culture there's more and more potential to have larger stories um with these these mandalorians or any other given uh, set of characters so i think uh you know it just it builds exponentially from a practical sense of what they can do uh, in future stories. So I think I think there's a potential they're going to go really big uh, with some of these future Mandalorian things. I agree, and I and I think I, I think back to what uh, Dave Filoni said during one of the Rebels panels at Celebration this past year, 
and he talked about all the different characters that they're bringing in and the expansion of um of the amount of characters that they have and how they all have a role to play and you know the the possibility or the potentiality of seeing mandalorians join the rebellion is really intriguing it is very interesting to just to kind of think about that idea um and i'm sure we'll we'll get some amazing stuff out of out out of that just just the hope of that or just the you know just the prospect of sabine trying to make that happen i think is going to lead to some great things my big takeaway from this is that we are that is and adam made a great point about how this show started out so small it was contained on one planet for the most part it was you know we were on the thaw um and as the series has grown the scope as the series has gone on the scope of the series has grown and and i and i it would not surprise me that this thing may get bigger than than we could have ever thought it would get just based on just based on the scope of the amount of characters and their backgrounds and everything they're bringing in so i i mean while i agree with you Eris, that this probably wasn't my favorite episode of the season I, it was no it was by no means a disappointment or or some or an episode i didn't enjoy um and and i think that this is the first step in setting up something that's going to be really fun down the road well and i just want to preface by saying this wasn't my favorite episode of the season it's because this season has been fantastic yeah there have been a lot of really i mean we're only seven episodes in Mm -hmm. and there's been three or four just brilliant episodes. I thought I, all the Bendu stuff I thought has been fantastic. The the Hera episode was really good. The inclusion of Thrawn. I mean, this season has just been so so strong that the bar is set really high for yeah, them right I now. Agree. I agree. I think I think they're putting out some of the best episodes, some of the best work yet on this series. Yeah, I definitely i i think the show i think the series has been uh, a marked improvement from season two. Season two had a great front end and a great back end, and um, and and the middle was just kind of there. It, it a lot of the middle stuff of season two fell flat. By by the seventh episode of the second season, I was like, okay, let's get back to this or let's get back to that. Um, here, it, it, there's a lot of dangling threads out there. Maul is still out there. Uh, Thrawn is, you know, he his presence is still very overshadowing. And now you've got this Mandalorian thread kind of dangling there, this tangled web of Mandalorian culture and everything that's there and, and is, is now coming into play. It just, it opens the door for a lot of fun possibilities. And um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to the future of, of, of Rebels there, so... Um, but I think that's going to wrap yeah, us up. Too. Yeah. I think that's going to wrap us up. Adam Bray, thank you so much for joining us, sir. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. I did have uh, one uh, one more question, though, I wanted to pose. Yes. Um, and it pertains to, um, to uh, Rebels Recon, because I've not had a chance to discuss this with anyone else. This we get, We're getting a lot of hints dropped uh, in each uh, in each episode of uh, Rebels Recon on StarWars.com. The the first series has been about uh, Chopper and all these jokes about him and going over to the UK, 
And the second uh, series of hints is Pablo and these Ewoks. Do you guys have any ideas about what, what, it, what they're trying to tell us there? I can only hope that we are going to get a new Ewok series. I'm I'm wondering if something is up. I mean, or are they just play? You know, or is he just playing with us? Uh, knowing Pablo, he's probably just playing with us. I mean, I go back to when Pablo was just working the webcam on Revenge of the Sith. There was one day where the the the, the webcam was kind of centered in on an Ewok for a large portion of the day. That was this where they would take a like you could just tune in live, and there'd be like, and they had a web camera that was like refreshing every five or ten seconds. During the uh, during the making uh-huh. of Revenge of the Sith, and so there was one day where he left a Ewok there for like three hours, um, one of the old stuffed Ewoks. <laughs> uh, I I don't know. I brought this up the other week, and um, I I th- I think that they're pointing in the direction of something Ewok centric in some form or another. Maybe a Blu-ray release of Caravan of Courage or some such. Eric, I hope so. We we need some. I love Ewoks. I'm I'm a great defender of Ewoks. Yes, you are. And and I'm not a I'm not a fan of Ewoks being used as uh as service Ewoks. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. Noble gesture that they made as a thank you to the New Republic for freeing their planet from Imperial rule. <laughs> Adam, thanks for joining us, man. It's been a good time. Thank you. Um, oh, yeah. oh, it's been Adam, fun any time. I'm, I'm, I'm so thrilled that you were able to join us. It's always a pleasure to see you at the cons and stuff, and it was great having you on tonight. You can follow Adam. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you can follow Adam at author Adam Bray on Twitter. And uh, make sure you check out Star Wars, absolutely everything you need to know, Ultimate Star Wars, uh, Star Wars Rebels, the visual guide, and absolutely everything you need to know, the Marvel edition, which is just a blast. And Adam, uh, we've got to firm up some dates because I know I want to have you on Geek Out Loud soon. Uh, we're going to talk some Marvel coming up soon. You, totally. You, work, you working on anything else cool that you can talk about? Um, I just finished my part in a new book, Star Wars book for DK, um, called Star Wars, the visual encyclopedia. And I think that comes out in April of next year. Um, I'm working on another Marvel thing for them. I don't think it's been announced though. It's still keeping me busy, but which reminds me, I just got made an honorary member of uh, the 501st, so I am very excited about that. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. Welcome to the club. Thank you. I'm not in the club. Thank you. I'm not in the club. Someone's ringing. So, who's ringing? (laughs) Yeah, sorry about that. All right. That is me. Let me unplug that. No, it's fine. Adam just mentioned something he probably shouldn't have mentioned. They're they're on him already. <laughs> Disney's on the phone. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Erish is at Darth underscore Duff on the Twitter. I'm at Steve Gloss, and you can follow Disney Vault Talk at uh, Vault Talk on the Twitter. I'm 
uh, and the entire Goaliverse at Goaliverse. If you want to email us about Rebel Yell, do so at geekoutonline at gmail.com for a little while. We've been doing the Disney Vault talk, but go ahead and and uh, and email Dis- uh, geekoutonline at gmail.com. Just make sure you put Rebel Yell in the subject line, and as we get some feedback, we'll discuss that. Uh, once again, our thanks to Adam Bray. Erish, thanks for standing in, as always, for Teresa. Teresa, we love you. We miss you. We're looking forward to your return. Come back with us next time on Rebel Yell when we discuss more Star Wars Rebels. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>